you know, Fozzie's like, why are there still cameras? Ah, they want a sequel, you know. Um, <laughs> That's not a bad Fozzie, TJ. I'm proud. Oh, thanks. Welcome to episode 83 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, March 25th, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is the world's greatest criminal mastermind, Constantine, otherwise known to us as Chad Hopkins. How Hello, are you, Chad? Hello, TJ. I, I am doing well. That's good to hear. How's, uh... Yes. How, how's the uh, life of a green frog treating you? It's not easy being a mean. Just set that up for you. So. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. Uh, how's it going? It is going okay. I mean, uh, I, I just got off my spring break, so I'm back at school. And oh, yeah. So um, it depends on how you're on your uh, disposition toward education, I suppose. Whether that's a yeah. good thing or a bad thing. Well, I'm in my final weeks of classes, so that's exciting, I guess. Kind of getting ready to got, step out into the world. Oh, almost. Uh, I've got six to seven weeks left of classes, and then in the fall, I'm actually going to be student teaching. So I'll be a, an assistant at a high school. Cool. Very very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Teaching anything ha- that has to do with film or? Uh, no. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, <clears throat> teaching band. All right. Well, the first thing that I wanted to talk about today, uh, speaking of film, is something that we use uh, or some of us use to watch films at home. Uh, and that is uh, I, I wrote uh, wrote a little bit of a piece this morning about the Apple TV concept art produced by Martin Hajek. Um, I, su- I assume there it's probably something some weird pronunciation. I don't think he's from the United States. So who knows exactly how that's pronounced? It's H-A-J-E-K. Uh, and he produced some, uh, if I, I mean, it's really fantastic looking concept art. Don't get me wrong as I talk about this. Uh, I thought some of the concept art looked absolutely fantastic. I don't think Apple will do something like a lot of this stuff, but I thought that the concepts look pretty fantastic. He's basically got here, Chad, a, um, a concept of a different type of remote for the Apple TV. Um, uh-huh. and it's touchscreen. It looks like a skinny iPod touch or a, or an iPhone. <clears throat> Um, and it's not much bigger, according to his uh, design uh, uh, mock-ups, uh, his 3D renderings. It's not much bigger than a, uh, a a standard Apple TV remote. And then he has uh, pictures of a really nice-looking set-top box Apple TV. He, if you click through, I'll have the article in the show notes, and if you click through and look at it, he has some comparison shots of the model with the current Apple TV. So it's smaller, it's it's classier, it's got beveled edges, kind of like the current iPhone design, where the the chamfered edges of the of the edges of the iPhone. Uh, you you would be familiar with that, Chad. You're an iPhone owner as well. Um, yes. So, uh, what what did you think of the look of of this concept art? Uh, they all look pretty slick. I think. Um, yeah. Definitely something I'd like to own. Um, it just if anything, just for the aesthetic appeal. I mean, they, they all look very nice. Yeah, and and I'm an Apple TV owner. I, are you an Apple TV owner? I wish. You wish. Um, maybe sometime in the future, but Same. right now it's not practical on a college campus. No, that's true, I suppose. Although it's just an itty-bitty little thing, and it really you can hook it up to a TV with one cable. Um, yeah, it's just internet problems. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. 
And the, the Apple TV as it exists currently is pretty dependent upon the internet. In fact, it's it's almost completely useless to me when my internet goes out here at the house. Uh, I do have some local media that it can play through iTunes on my on my media server, but but for most of the stuff that I do, it is pretty useless without the internet. I will I will grant you. Um, right. I, I basically use this concept art as kind of uh, to, to talk about some of the issues surrounding again while I think that the concept. Of, of of or or let me let me back up. While I think that the images that he's made in this 3D rendering are really pretty and and some of the concepts are cool, I think that there are some practical issues. And we, I want to start with the touchscreen remote. Now on the surface, Chad, what I mean to you, I'll, I'll bet that sounds like, and even to me when I first looked at it, a, a touchscreen remote. Oh, that sounds like a really great idea, right? Right. Um, I don't think it is, and and here's why. Um, first of all, so it is essentially a skinny iPod touch, you know, it's got the touch screen, the, the interface that he's drawn up looks very similar to something you would see on an iPod touch in iOS. Uh, let me look at it. Yeah. He's got it in iOS seven style essentially. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the problem I think is that I don't think a touch screen will work very well. And the reason I know this is because I have the iTunes or the, I, uh, the, the remote app. It's, it used to be called iTunes remote. I think it's just called remote now. And it's an Apple designed app that will let you control Apple TV over the network with the touch screen of your iPhone or your iPod touch. And I am constantly like, like the only thing I use that app for is for text entry. Cause as, as you might imagine, text entry on the Apple TV gets to be a little bit tedious with with a a clicker where you're you're right. navigating an on-screen keyboard it's it's miserable it's absolutely miserable <laughs> and so i will pull up my iphone pull up the remote app and enter text if i want to search youtube or i want to search netflix or, or whatever i'm doing I'll, I'll type that in enter it just like i would on my iphone it's very nice it's very slick uh, other than that like so there's a swipe area that that you can swipe back and forth to navigate like you were pressing a button on the clicker and and that's very inaccurate. I find that I'm always swiping past the selection I'm trying to make. Uh, if you're tapping, trying to tap some of the on-screen controls, excuse me, the, the problem is that there is no tactile feedback and you're looking at a screen that's up in front of you and trying to navigate it with your, with your thumb or your fingers or whatever, holding a, a device that's down below your line of sight. So you can't quite ever, it's, it's just very, very difficult to manage. If right. You might imagine what I'm trying to say. So I don't. I think for that reason alone, the idea of this touchscreen remote is just a little bit beyond. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem like it would actually work as well as you might think. It, it feels like this fantasy thing, that, and it is. It's a it's a 3D mockup, but I, I know <laughs> it's it's something people have been talking about. Well, the remote is the weakness of the Apple TV. Uh-huh. I should probably back up and talk about why I'm I'm talking about this, Chad. Um, and I, <laughs> I think you know, but just for our our listeners, I just realized I haven't really talked about why <clears throat> this is interesting to me. And and that is because we are definitely in a battle uh, for the living room, I feel like. Um, and, and even I think this affects uh, uh, the broader picture in regards to movies and film and TV and how we consume them. Uh, as we move into this digital world, there's, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of room to figure out what, what this all looks like. You know, you've got you've got House of Cards, which I watch on my Apple TV via Netflix, um, and and that is that that really blurs the lines and this the distinctions between uh, cinema and TV. Like like what makes one thing TV and another thing cinema? Uh, because because the House of Cards is referred to oftentimes as a very cinematic TV show. Well, what does that uh-huh. even mean? So so all these things are very interesting to me. So that's kind of why 
this whole thing is interesting to me. And so we're in this battle for the living room. And, uh, you know, who's, you know, a lot of people don't like Apple, so they have the Roku or, or they have the, the, the Chromecast so they can broadcast stuff from their Android phone onto their TV via the Chromecast. Um, and, and other such devices that I can't quite think of off the top of my head. There's the, uh, oh, what is that one device? Um, <clears throat> You know, there's 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 a few different set top devices. My my device of choice right now is the Apple TV. Right. So so the person who can can crack the next big thing, whether that's Apple or whether that's you know Netflix or or with the with the Roku. I think it's Netflix that owns the Roku, right? Um, I know it's a big part of the Roku platform. I'm not positive who owns it. Uh, da, 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 da. Hmm, might be independently owned. For some reason, I thought it was affiliated with Netflix. Any in any event, whoever whoever cracks a set top box in a better way than what we're seeing currently, I think is gonna is gonna win the hearts of the next uh, digital generation. And nobody, I don't feel like anybody's quite gotten there yet. I have annoyances with my Apple TV. There are annoyances with the other devices. So, uh-huh. so I, I all that is to say, I don't think the touchscreen here is the way to go I, I i will freely admit chad i don't know what the answer here is and that's why uh-huh. this is very interesting to me because oftentimes i feel like i know what the answer is i don't know what makes something what what would be better i just know that this touchscreen remote is probably not it yeah that makes sense <clears throat> so what what have you to say uh in regards <laughs> to all that well uh there's actually a, a similar app to what you're referring to uh for the Apple TV for my PS4. Um, it's okay. just a PlayStation app on my iPhone. And uh, it's, t- of course, all touch-based because it is a touchscreen phone. Right. And it, it has the same problems that you're talking about. In fact, even some of uh, the text entry doesn't work sometimes. Um, uh, not that I rely on it too heavily, but uh, it would be nice if it was a little bit more reliable. And I think that uh, even if you had a device that was solely geared toward that, um, if it's a touchscreen, it's just going to have these complications uh, Maybe if they could come out with some sort of hybrid remote that maybe has a touchscreen portion with maybe small clicker buttons on the bottom for navigation purposes, that might be some sort of solution. But I, I don't know how that would look on a uh, practical design. Yeah, I mean, I'm already picturing a BlackBerry, which 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 feels to me, you know, when you think of Blackberries versus you know iPhones, well, it feels very uh, dinosaurish. And and I I, right. I think that that's the perception at least now is oh. Apple has to make a touchscreen remote, or somebody has to make a touchscreen remote that interacts well with this device. And maybe they'll figure out a way to crack it. Maybe maybe the swipe areas and the tap areas are bigger targets, so that while you're holding it below your line of sight and you're looking up at the TV, it's it's harder to miss or whatever. I I don't know what the answer to that is. I just I just right. feel like that there's something better that we haven't figured out yet. Um, yeah. And I'm going to skip ahead to the bottom of the article. Speaking of those buttons. Um, he did a concept also of a remote with buttons that has uh, a D-pad and A, B, X, and Y buttons, you know, start, select, and, and kind of your basic controls. Like, what would it look like if Apple created a controller so that you could play games on the Apple TV? I really don't see Apple doing this. This is just not, <laughs> no. this is just not something Apple's going to do. No, I, maybe some sort of thir- third, par- uh, third party might try something like this, but yeah. I, I doubt that going over well either now don't get me wrong i would love it if they did this and i would love it if they got into real gaming and i would love it if mario were available on the apple tv i really do want one box one device that would rule my entire entertainment system i just don't see it happening (laughs) i just don't see it happening i I have it just you know we're a long way from that if it ever does happen so 
Uh-huh. And then the- I mean, one advantage of like uh, the PS4, just to throw it out there, is that you can connect it to your internet or uh, into your computer to stream media uh, to it. And you can also have access to Amazon Instant Video and Hulu and Netflix. And then, of course, it uh, doubles as a Blu-ray player, too. So I, I really okay. like having that. Yeah, and that's the one thing about the Apple TV. Um, now, the Apple TV will take a stream from my computer. Uh, I can I can mirror my computer or I can stream a, a specific video to the Apple TV um, from my iPhone as well. Uh, the, the, there's two things that the Apple TV doesn't do that are kind of frustrating. One, you know, doesn't bother me because this is the future, and that is the Blu-ray. I do have a separate Blu-ray player just because uh-huh. the Apple TV is so small and it doesn't have a, an optical drive. All right, so that's that's one issue, and that's kind of annoying, and I agree. That's that's. I wish there was a way that I could have the my cake and eat it too. Um, <laughs> but, but then the other issue is that um, – only the platforms that Apple makes available are available on the Apple TV. And everything except for Amazon Prime is available on the Apple TV that I want. Uh-huh. Um, and I get my Amazon Prime through Wii U. But that's a little bit frustrating of an experience. It's not the best experience. I, you know, and, and Wii U is a gaming machine. And I don't know. The app, the, 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 the Amazon Prime app just doesn't seem that well suited or built or whatever. Yeah, in at least event. it's in HD this uh, this time around, though. Yes, that was a frustration when I was doing Amazon Prime on the Wii. Was it was all standard definition, which is I right. have an HD TV, and it's just I always felt like the Wii not being in HD was a little odd. Yeah. Anyway, so so then there's the mockups of the of the box itself of of the set top device itself, and this this new concept for the Apple TV, and like I said, it has those chamfered edges. It looks gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. Uh, I just don't, th- I, here's the problem with that, I think. And, and this is all me being all negative about all these things. <laughs> um, the, the entry price and the only price for the Apple TV is uh, $99. And I think it would be very difficult for Apple to manufacture and maintain profit margins, a, a device this beautiful and this well-built. Uh, and it wasn't, I mean, it doesn't look like plastic, whereas my current, you know, Apple TV is is some sort of re- plastic or resin or whatever it is that Apple's using. Um, and it looks fine. It looks great, actually. It just this this just looks you know way three or four notches above what I currently have. Um, I I just think that Apple has already set this expectation at ninety nine dollars, and they've they've for better or for worse they've boxed themselves into this really really low price point, which is ironic given that people think Apple is expensive. Right. <laughs> um. So so ninety nine dollars. Uh. And it's just going to be hard to build something this good looking. I think and and this well built. Or what looks to be this well built, this metal, you know, aluminum chamfered edges, you know, with kind of like the iPhone. Basically, it looks like an iPhone but without the screen, and it's square. Right. So it's got the same color. Yes, yeah, same color concepts and all this stuff. So it's a beautiful mock-up, but I just don't think I just don't see it happening either. So that's all my negativity about the Apple TV. I I, I do hope Apple has something coming for the Apple TV because I I would like to see them innovate in this space. They've they've done well, of course, innovating with touchscreens and the iPhone, and I would love to see what they have to do here. There's just a lot of barriers here that that they need to crack. Yeah. Hashtag Apple is doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you're, you're using inside jokes here. (laughs) um for those who don't know i love to tweet people you know you always see these headlines uh you know apple has to do this or they're doomed or or they'll die or or apple must innovate here apple's losing their innovation apple's this apple's that and they have to do this and everybody's an everybody's an armchair expert about what apple needs to do to survive and so anytime i there's a little something that annoys me about apple i say you know da 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 apple uh apple's battery life on the iphone is is you know going down the hill you know and then i'll put you know usually in all caps or something you know Apple is doomed, or I'll use a hashtag, Apple is doomed. 
The so, end of the world. Yes, being ironic. <laughs> so. so that's the inside joke that Chad is referring to. So yes. that's that's what I have to say about the Apple TV. Do you have anything to add? Do you have other boxes that you like? Do you use a Roku? Do you use anything else? No, I just have my uh, my PS4 to cover all that. Okay. And you're happy with it? I am. Uh, and I get to play games on it, too, so that's nice. Cool. Well, that is a perfect segue, Chad. Speaking of games, I have a little game for you that has okay. to do with games. Now you, Sounds good. You may be a little too young for this. I don't know. The, the, this... <laughs> This is, uh, boy, this is right up my um, my alley here. I, I, I've, of course, I'm a product of the '80s and all these games and these themes. They just, oh man. So, so okay. So this guy does um, acapella stuff, and he'll like record several different tracks with with the different parts. And you really need to watch a video, one of the videos, or all the videos. You should you should definitely watch all the videos. They'll be in the show notes uh, to get a sense of what's going on. But I'm going to play one of these, and I want you to tell me what game it is from. Don't don't look at the web page. No peeking because okay. they're on there. Okay, here we go. What game is that? It's one of the Marios, isn't it? See, the the issue is, I know it's associated with certain games, but... uh, I don't know some of the specifics. I grew up playing this game. Uh, and so, I mean, let me, let me see if I can find the original, not the acapella. Let's see. Uh, here we go, YouTube. So does that uh, ring a bell? I mean, I, I I definitely know it. I'm just not positive which Mario game. Okay, it's from. Um, maybe Super Mario Brothers three. Nope. Two. Two. Yes, it is from Super okay. Mario. The U.S. version of Super Mario Two is what it's from. Which, yes. Because uh, okay. there was actually a Japanese version that was essentially Mario One with new different levels, and I don't even know what the music was, if the music was different for that or not. But just listen, uh-huh. listen to the nuance this guy gets. I mean, he he gets and he does all the different parts of of the of the track. So. <laughs> I mean, he gets every little nuance of of, of that eight bit music. I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah, I love that sort of retro reverb he has on it. It, yes. it just makes it sound great. Yes. All right, here's another one. Uh, okay. That I, uh, okay, we'll see if you can get it. Is that Super Mario Brothers 3? It is. Okay. See, another disadvantage I have is I, I've grown up on my generation of Mario games, um, and they play all these same songs. That's true. You're right. And I, I noticed that of the newer Mario games. I'll be like, oh, I know exactly where that theme originated, you know. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I, ha- I have a Nintendo Entertainment System at home um, in the box. Um, I, I don't keep it plugged in all the time, but I, I do have it, and I am familiar with these games. It's Really? Just, See, I yeah. I have to play them all through the Wii. Uh, I have Super Mario All-Stars. I have some of the original games because uh, I don't have an – my my Nintendo died when I uh-huh. was, uh, oh, I don't know, 
12 because I played <laughs> it to death. And it right. finally got to where I, I don't know if your Nintendo does this still or if it's in better condition, but it, it started to get to where the games would just like start blinking and mm. and you would have to like try to clean it out and you'd clean the cartridge and you'd clean the thing. You had this, you know, cartridge cleaner and the thing to clean the thing, the, the receptacle. And it eventually just got to the point where it wouldn't even start the game. Like it would just flash. I believe it was blue and orange. It would flash, if I remember right. Huh. Alternate between the two colors and it just wouldn't play. Anybody who has a Nintendo probably knows what phenomenon I'm talking about, <laughs> even if I had the colors wrong. Because I've seen it on other Nintendos as well. And it just got to where it wouldn't work at all and we just had to throw it away. Yeah, a few years back we had a garage sale and I was roaming around and I found this Nintendo Entertainment System in its original box and uh, it was for sale and I just sort of stole it and went inside and plugged it up to our uh, giant TV and started playing Mario. You mean you bought it, right? Well, it was our garage sale. Oh, 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 I see. (laughs) That's that's what you mean. Hey, mom, how did this get in here? All right, so here's the here's the original theme that that was that the acapella was based on. Grew up playing this one too. It's pretty pretty incredible. Even on eight bit, I, I I could definitely cons- uh, I, I would sit down and listen to those just for fun, like on any day. Just the, even the eight bit recordings. Oh yeah, well, and this acapella stuff's just amazing. Every 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 sound, as far as I understand, is produced by his mouth in some fashion. So yeah. All right. Here's another one. And this may be, and I may be giving this away if I've ever talked about this in the past. This may be my favorite game from my childhood. Any guesses? I I don't. I mean, I'm. It's another one of those ones that I know. I know. It's just uh, I I can't nail down exactly which game it's from. Here comes the original. This this went from eight. This is sixteen bit. So the previous two were eight, sixteen bit or I mean eight bit. This is a sixteen bit console. This is not the Nintendo. This is the Super Nintendo. Right. This is Super Mario World. Probably my favorite oh, game from my youth. Cool. Right. One more. Not Nintendo. I actually have no idea on that one. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Oh, man, this is another game from my childhood. I did not own one of these consoles. Um, but Okay, so of, Sega. Some of my friends did. Yeah, that kind of gives it away as far as the console. There were only two consoles <laughs> in the 80s. There right. was, well, I think there was, well, let's see. Now the Atari was really in the 70s. That was really yeah. before my time. I remember my cousin had an Atari. So really in the 80s, there was only two consoles. There was the Sega Genesis and there was the Nintendo. And Sega Genesis came a little bit after the Nintendo, and so it was a little bit better. And it you know, it had the different things. I, I think they started out in 16-bit, if I remember right. I think that was a 16-bit console. Let's uh-huh. see. So, uh, oh, almost gave it away. Probably just did give it away as I was <laughs> Googling. Okay. 
Mm. Let me just try to find the original here. Oh, that's interesting. This thing says copyright 1991, so it was a little later than I thought. Da, 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 da. What is it? Sonic the Hedgehog. Green. Oh, that would that would have been my guess if I had just named something completely random. But yes. I, I don't associate that song with Sonic. Oh, so. interesting. That is what that is. When I think of Sonic, that is the first thing that comes to my head is that Green Hill Zone music because that's the first level. You know, uh-huh. when you start playing. I don't know if I ever played Sonic enough to have music in my head for it. This guy is absolutely incredible. I, I don't know how this is related to film. It was just fun. So <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. Um, so, yeah, the link is in the show notes. Uh, the Several of the videos in the show notes. He does other videos. This guy, I mean, he's, he's pretty incredible uh, vocalist there. So check that out. That's in the show notes. Pretty awesome. Cool. All right, Chad. What do you think about this? Andy Serkis is going to direct Warner Brothers' version of The Jungle Book. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, he's done a good job helping out uh, Peter Jackson as second unit director for the right. Hobbit yes. uh, trilogy. Um, but but this is his first directorial debut uh, directing uh, a feature. Right. And uh, so that'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know. Do you, is he going to have any sort of role in this or is he just going to be directing? I would assume like- usually actors who turn director usually do have some sort of role in their films. Uh, right. Take, for instance, um, uh, George well, Clooney. No, no, well, George Clooney. Sure, that's a good example. We did just review one of his films. Uh, so mm-hmm. he had a pretty big role in the film and he directed it. That takes a lot of work. You kind of have to respect the director just for that alone. But um, the, the guy I was I was about to mention, though, um, he played in Harry Potter to Gilderoy Lockhart. Why do Kenneth I always Bernard. Kenneth Branagh? Yes, I always forget his name. Stupid. Anyway, so <laughs> so he does the same thing. You know, he usually he usually stars or has a a, a larger role in the films that he directs, although not always. Um, for instance, he directed Thor: The Dark World. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Thor, just Thor. Uh, right. and, and he was not in it at all that I can remember. Um, no. So, and if it was, it was like a bit part. So, well, I'm, I right. mean, because Peter Jackson always has bit parts in his films too, but he's not really an actor. But he, had, he, uh, Kenneth Branagh did direct uh, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, and he had a role in that. Correct, a pretty big role too. And so right. that, that takes that man. That takes a lot. That I mean, uh, I just sometimes I read about these directors, or I read maybe I, I read, for instance, I've read a book. Uh, about a director who directed one of the Star Trek films who was also a, a pretty large cast member in it that would be Leonard Nimoy. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, he did two films. He directed two films and was uh, had a bigger role in one than the other, and it's just like, you know, it was just grueling. He described the experience as grueling. So you do have to respect filmmakers for that. Yeah. Um, I would expect Andy Serkis would be in the, in the film in some capacity because that really is where his strength lies is in character acting, I think. Right. I mean, think of Gollum. I mean, he created. When you think of Gollum, even when you read the books now, maybe if you had read the books before the films, but I guarantee you, now when you read about Gollum, your mind goes to Andy Serkis's version of Gollum. There's just, yes. I mean, he just is Gollum. So, uh, I know my wife is kind of that way. I mean, she's a she was a big fan of the books for years and years, but now whenever you know she said whenever she thinks about Gollum. She thinks about Andy Serkis. So right. <laughs> this is the type of actor we're dealing with, and now he's gone to directing. And I, I do find, though, Chad, I, I don't know about you, but often I will say, oh, look, uh, an actor turned director, that's going to be a really good film because 
they've been on both sides of the craft and they know as a director now, having been an actor, what it takes to get the actor to perform or, or, or what the actor is going through to perform a role or what they need to, you know, to perform the role. And they kind of know how to work with that. Whereas sometimes right. I feel like directors who haven't acted are not necessarily, not always, but sometimes they're just not as good. They can't bring out the performance quite as well because they don't, they haven't been an actor. They really don't know how. Mm-hmm. And I know there's an old school of thought that says that those always should be separated, like an actor is an actor and a director is a director, and just and a director can get a good performance out of an actor. He doesn't have to be one to get that. And I, I think that's too much of a disconnect. Uh huh. So, what I don't know. What do you think about this? You think? Uh, see, the bottom line though, Chad, is that there's two versions of the Jungle Book out there floating around out there that are going to be coming out around the same time. This one is the Warner Brothers version. Now, I had been interested in the Disney version because of John Favreau and because of uh, Idris Elba and uh, uh, or is it Idris? I can't remember. We 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 discussed this. Before. I think it. Yeah, I think uh, we decided on Idris. Idris, yes. So, um, yeah, I was more interested in that, but now that Andy Serkis is on this one, it's like, doggone it! Now I'm interested in two Jungle Books. <laughs> and uh, also worth noting, I think uh, Steve Clovis is writing the screenplay, and he did some of the Harry Potter films, I believe. Yeah, I remember reading that as well. So very interesting for sure. Um, and and definitely would like to see Andy Serkis's directorial debut. And it, you wonder too, like, what drew him to this project? I mean, because he's a first class actor. So what drew him to this project? Was it just the chance to direct or was it something about the project that he saw in it that he could bring something to it? You know, I'm just interested in all that at this point now. Right. And uh, since I just mentioned it, I looked him up. Steve Cloves wrote the screenplays for all of the Harry Potter films except for Order of the Phoenix. Who did Order of the, who did Order of the Phoenix? Um, let me look that up real quick. He's typing away furiously, looking up information for the podcast. <laughs> uh, Live on the Michael air. Michael Goldenberg, okay. who I've never heard of. That's weird. <clears throat> uh, but that was um, David Yates' first Harry Potter film, so I okay. wonder if that had anything to do with it. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I know hmm, – I don't know for sure how well the fourth Harry Potter film did, but I imagine not well. So there probably was a lot of internal shakeup. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is not well. I don't think it's well regarded. Uh, I have to know now. And now I'm furiously typing. Um, um, it has an 87, 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I know there are the people out there who say it's the best Harry Potter film. They're just nuts. Which is weird. Goblet of. That is my fire. least favorite by far. Oh, by far. It is the worst in the series. 88%. How is that possible? <laughs> That's higher than the audience rating for sure. That is impossible. What? I was quoting uh, Star Wars. Oh, sorry, my head wasn't even in, in there. Wow! Oh, look Come at all on, these. CJ. Look at all these fresh reviews. That's insane. That's insane. I've never looked at this before. I have to know. Okay, Harry. Now I know the first two films are considered very uh, workmanlike. Like they were not very written. You know, I don't know. Harry uh, I have all the percentages in front of me, TJ. Okay, what are they? Read them out. Yeah, okay, Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, 80%. Chamber of Secrets, 82%. Mm-hmm. Prisoner of Azkaban, 91%. Yeah, and, uh, and, and there's that I can give a little more leeway with. Yes, uh, I know Alfonso Cuaron, who directed that, was praised for a lot of what he did with that film. Right, I have some quibbles, but yes, overall. Right, um, like the uh, Marauders, but that's beside the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Goblet of Fire, we just said 87. Order of the Phoenix, 79. Um, really? Half-Blood, yeah. Half-Blood Prince, 84. 
Yeah, that's Deathly right. Hallows Part 1, 78. Oh, no. And, see, that would be my favorite. That's the best film in the series. And then Deathly Hallows Part 2, 96. What? Yeah. See, I would say that was Yates' worst film in the series. Not not the worst film in the series, but of the ones that Yates directed, that was the worst. Really? Yes. Deathly Hallows? Part 2 of that's Deathly surprising. Hallows. Yeah, I wasn't I mean, my, my only major quibble with uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 is the confrontation at the end of the film, but... And that that's really why it wasn't so great of a film. And, and, and yeah. even just getting there, I think he did – oh, man, this, this is another podcast. We have <laughs> – you know what, folks? It is on our Trello board to do at it's, some point. We don't have it scheduled, but it's on there. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Harry Potter world. We just are. It's just – it's going to happen. And Joe wants to talk about that with us, so he'll be on again. Uh, so yeah, oh, yeah. You yeah, said yeah. Joe, and I thought you were talking about J.K. Rowling because that's oh, what Joe people, Rowling. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought T.J. What are you talking about? Don't I don't wish like that if, if we could, whenever whenever we can get her, that's when we're going to do it. We we'll get J.K. Rowling. <laughs> on here so anyway, Andy Serkis uh, directing Warner Brothers version of the Jungle Book. Whatever, I'm I'm interested now. Dang it! Against my against my better <laughs> judgment, against my will. Uh, okay, so I also wrote a thing. About Pixar's new cancellation, Cars, The Incredibles, and other things, uh, <clears throat> and th- this is um, this really again. It was a little bit of a fuel for thought for me. Um, so, so here's the quote that I that started this uh, from Max Nicholson over at IGN. So, what was the real reason Pixar canceled Newt? Well, the animation company's president, Ad Catmull, revealed in a recent article just why director Gary Rydstrom's long gestating animated feature never saw the light of day. As part of a series of conversations with Fast Company to promote his new book, Creativity Incorporated, Catmull said of the failed project, Newt was was another unlikely idea that wasn't working. When we gave it to somebody new, Pete Doctor, director of Up, he said, I'll do it, but I have another idea altogether which I think is better. And I thought it was better too. That was the reason we didn't continue with Newt. So to me, it's sad that an original project was canned. Um, that, that, that's kind of my thinking here at the same time. I mean, he went on to talk about the incredible sequel and cars three. Oh. Um, so, so the incredible sequel, I am incredibly excited about. See what Aha. I did there. <laughs> um, I, I'm very excited about the incredible sequel. Um, Me too. And, and especially I, if, uh, Brad Bird's involved. Well, and he is, he is. We, I don't yeah. know if he's going to, we don't know that he's going to direct yet, but he's definitely involved in the writing and stuff. Yeah. Um, I expect he would direct. I, I can't imagine why he would. I would really hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, but but at the same time, it's just it feels like we're seeing the decline of Pixar. Is what it feels like. I don't know. I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you have some thoughts. You know, I as far as Newt itself goes, I never knew enough about it to be excited for it. But I, I understand the cutting of original content in favor of all these sequels is a bit uh, depressing. Yeah. Uh, we certainly would like to see more original films, but um, I'm trying to think of their most recent one. I guess Brave is their most recent original film. Yeah. Um, and when we, and, mean, when we say original, of course, all the stories are original in some form or right. fashion. But what what we're saying is, New from the ground up, not based on a previous franchise or work. Right, not a sequel or prequel. So not Cars 2 or Monsters uh, University. And here's the thing, like Cars, I really like Cars. It's a fun movie. Cars 2, meh, <laughs> There was a lot of issues there. Not, Don't hate it the way a lot of people do, but meh, you know. It was it yeah. was pretty mediocre for Pixar. That's the way I'll put yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's fun, but it's definitely not up to their other quality films. Yeah. 
Cars 3, I don't even want to see this. I don't want anything to do with it. I'd want it to go away. <laughs> that's fair. Really, um, that's fair. Yeah, I just... No sarcasm. I'm, I'm so done with the Cars franchise. <laughs> and and the problem is, this feels like an edict from, from Disney. Cars makes money. We sell lots of merchandise. Make another one. That's what it feels like to me. Whether or not that's true, I could. this could be completely... Uh, Crit, crit fiction, uh, you know, crit, uh, a critic fiction that I'm making up here, but that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And, and, and I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm not as concerned for Pixar as you seem to be in your write up. Um, I, I think, you know, they, they have had a couple of, uh, I guess it's fair to call it a slump because you had Cars 2 followed by Brave. And then while I really enjoyed Monsters University, it still wasn't up to the level of some of their previous original films. And so, um, and even even next on their slate is another sequel. You've got Finding Dory coming out next year. Um, and then we won't have another uh, original film until, what, 20, 2016, Something I believe, like is when that. that Inside Out film is supposed to come out. Yeah. Which is being directed by Pete Docter. Yeah, essentially right now, there are only two franchises in the Pixar universe that I am interested in any capacity in a sequel or a prequel, if it must be. And that would be The Incredibles and Toy Story. And I really think I'm done with Toy Story 2. Like, I loved Toy Story 3, but I don't don't know that I want them to go back to that well. Yeah, I think they ended it very well. And uh, at the time it was released, I was just graduating high school, so it really resonated with me. Um, and I'd kind of like them to leave it alone at that because I, I – uh, I literally grew up with Andy. Um, I was three years old when the first film came out. Nice. And then when he graduated high school, I just graduated high school. So um, that that the Toy Story films are really personal to me for those reasons. And uh, I, I like where they left it. And I don't I'm not really sure I want a sequel right now. They're doing all these short films, which I like. Um, I, I think it's a good idea to continue the characters on. But I don't know if I want another feature film. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so. so really with that. So that said, there's only really one. Uh, franchise within Pixar that I would like to see continue on at this, this time, and that's The Incredibles. I, I think that The Incredibles would warrant possibly three films. Yeah, I mean, with superhero characters, it's easy to take them and uh, put them in different situations without it feeling yeah. terribly canned or contrived. Yeah, and it, it will be interesting to see what they do. Uh, you know, because a lot of the drama in in Incredibles was was uh, Mr. Incredible figuring out who he was in relation to his family and and in relation to his superhero abilities. It felt like that was resolved. So where do they go with this one? And and that's that was what that's what will be interesting to see. I don't want to see them rehash old drama. I want something new. So right. If they can pull that off. I think it'll be really, really good because I love the universe of the, of the Incredibles and I love the style of the art and everything. So uh-huh. it'll be very interesting to see. For sure. All right, Chad, this one probably uh, might be better suited um, for you to tell <laughs> us a little bit about this because uh, you, you're, you're, our, you're our music guy. I am the music guy. Okay, so uh, Brian Tyler has been confirmed to score uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, the second uh, Avengers film. Um, Brian Tyler most recently composed the scores for Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World last year, which were both excellent scores. Um, Unfortunately, this means that Alan Silvestri, um, who composed the scores for Captain America, the first Avenger, and the first Avengers film will not be returning. Um, And I know that, TJ, you're a big fan of Alan Silvestri's score for the Avengers especially. And I am too, uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, Brian Tyler 
his scores for both Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World were fantastic, uh, where Iron Man didn't really have much of a theme uh, before. Um, he really gave the character a little bit more of his own identity and his new score, I think. Um, and uh, he even had a score last year for Now You See Me with uh, that Jesse Eisenberg film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very, very good, very, very strong. And so um, I think he's a really strong composer right now, and I think he's a good choice for this film. Well, I mean, he's certainly well uh, versed in in in, in well entrenched in the Marvel universe right now. I I right. do find it really sad. I, I, I it's not that I didn't like Brian Tyler's scores; they were fine scores. I just wanted Alan Sylvester to come back and expand upon what he had done in the Avengers. And anytime you get now, okay, well, I'll start here. Anytime you get a new composer into a franchise, they tend to want to do their own thing and not and and not follow up on what's been done before. And you can get a little stale with the same composer if they're not willing to branch out. But if you branch out right and still maintain the core of what that score can and should be, I think it works out the best. That right. that said, I do feel like Brian Tyler probably isn't too afraid of going back to the Avengers well. He's certainly fit right in with the films that he has scored in the Marvel Universe, feeling very much like a Marvel score. Right. So... I don't know. I'm kind of torn about it. I'm definitely sad that Alan Silvestri is not coming back for Avengers 2, and I wonder why that is and, and what what happened, and is there something going on you know, with Brian Tyler that you know they told Joss Whedon, guess what? You don't get Alan Silvestri. You get Brian Tyler because we have this deal in place <laughs> with him, and that you know, all these questions come to mind when I was really looking forward to – I mean, even not even really consciously. Until, until this announcement came out, it wasn't even conscious. It was just like – Yay, one of the great things about Avengers 2 is we're going to get another Alan Silvestri score, and it's going to be <laughs> awesome. And it's like, oh, man. No, right. we're not going to get that? Oh, man. So that, that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. Yeah, one thing I can sort of think of to sort of justify this decision, um, you know, Alan Silvestri going into the Avengers, he used the Captain America theme a couple of times because, of course, he composed that score. But there wasn't really any hint of the previous scores for the other Avengers characters um, where – um, now that he has scored Captain America and the Avengers, he's left behind really solid themes for uh, that character and for the idea of those characters. And now Brian Tyler has come along and established themes for Iron Man and for uh, Thor. And so having those established themes by Alan Silvestri and then having these new themes by Brian Tyler, it gives him a really good opportunity to hopefully incorporate all of them together. So you have a full team of Avengers um, represented in the music. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, who, do you know who composed the score for Cap 2? Uh, for Cap 2? Um, oh, goodness. I should know this. You should, man. Um, see if I can beat you to it. <laughs> Oh no, my computer is slow. Um, Henry Jackman. Henry Jackman. I should have known okay. that. Yeah, I, Which I, I just I, I've it. heard sort of mixed things about his music so far. I haven't listened to it myself, but um, some people say it's great. Some people say it's not. Uh, I like Henry Jackman. He did Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, okay. It's been, and uh, he man, did, it's been a while since I heard that score. I don't have that He did that one. X-Men First Class as well, which also has some good themes in it. Um, yeah, so I remember it, thinking it might, the X-Men First Class wasn't as good as it should have been, though. But I don't, uh, I don't. I can't think of anything specific right at the top of my head. But yeah, um, uh, he did so, Captain I mean, Phillips. Yes, but I don't think that music was well received, to be honest. Okay, I don't remember uh, having any problem with it. So well, I don't okay. know. 
go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, you. Uh, no, go, I, I'm pretty much done. Um, Henry Jackman has some good stuff under his belt. Brian Tyler has some great stuff under his belt. Uh, one thing I wish, um, wasn't happening is uh, Tyler Bates, who composed the score for the first 300 movie, um, is scoring Guardians of the Galaxy later this year. And um, not a fan. No, not really. Uh, his 300 score actually had a lot of copyright issues. He apparently stole some themes from other composers from other films, and there is uh, some lawsuit stuff over it. And uh, whoever made 300 had to put in some disclaimers into the soundtrack. And wow. It, and it, I mean, it's not stellar to begin with um, the rest of the music, but I don't know. Hopefully his Guardians of the Galaxy score will be a little bit better. Well, you would think of Mar- – I mean because Marvel at this point can get any anybody they want to score their films. So you would think that they saw some something, some potential in there perhaps. Right. You know, Mar- Marvel is uh, Marvel has got the big muscles in the industry right now, which is, a, you know, <laughs> kind of interesting considering where they were a few years ago, but – uh, just trying to build up their franchise, and now here they are. They're the towering giant. But uh, anyway, well, we, we actually um, have two films to talk about today, Chad. Uh, I, yes. I put in here a note. I want to do a trailer bite, but we can't do it today because we have two films to talk about because <laughs> we're behind. Right. Um, so maybe next week because there are a lot of trailers floating around I would like to discuss. But um, So this week, uh, our reviews, our two reviews are, first of all, Three Days to Kill which I feel like we probably won't spend maybe as much time on as Muppets Most Wanted. So we put Muppets Most Wanted at the end, and hopefully we won't spend too much time on Three Days to Kill, and we'll make you happy by talking more about Muppets Most Wanted. (laughs) Okay, I should put a disclaimer in here that uh, the rest of the podcast is going to have me complaining a lot, um, but only one of the the films deserves the complaints. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll leave that up to y'all to decide which one I'm talking about. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, now, I will also say, I want to add the disclaimer that I uh, i think I even mentioned at the beginning of the show, I am probably the least prepared I've ever been for any podcast I have ever recorded because we've been traveling. Uh, we went to a wedding in Florida, which the weather was beautiful in Florida, uh, 80, 75 to 80 degrees, and I come back to this blizzard in Tennessee. Um, this is crazy, crazy cold. And ugh, anyway, uh, but so I've been, you know, got to put in 10 hour days to get, catch up on my work and blah, blah, blah. And, and dog ate my homework. And, uh, um, uh, let's see what else. Um, anyway, so yeah, I just, I got home, I rushed home. I, I took a little time to eat supper with my family and I walked in here and I started setting up the show outline and I know that you have the commitment, so we need to move on. So here it is. Our review, first of all, of three days to kill five minutes from now, this team will save thousands of lives. Under no circumstances does this briefcase leave the area, or it's war. He's on his way. Good or bad, when you work for the agency... All teams in position. It becomes your whole life. job, Ethan. We need you. I just want to spend a little more time with my daughter and my wife. Why did you leave me and mom? There's no easy answer. So Three Days to Kill opened in theaters on February 21st, 2014. It had a budget of $28 million. It opened to $12.2 million, and it has grossed worldwide $29.8 million. 
Uh, Rotten Tomatoes Critical Acclaim says that Three Days to Kill uneasily mixes technically accomplished action sequences with an underdeveloped family conflict. I feel like that's a... Now we'll get to that. Uh, director is McGee. Never heard of him before. Me neither. Writers Addie Hasek and Luke Besson. Starring Kevin Costner, Amber Heard, Haley Steinfeld, Connie Nielsen, Thomas, Thomas Le Marquis, and Richard Samel. Music by... Guillaume. Uh, uh, Guillaume. Uh, Something like that. Roselle. Uh, so, Chad... <laughs> I know that you don't like this film too much, but why don't you tell us a little bit about the story here? Okay, I'll I'll try and make it interesting sounding. (laughs) A dangerous international spy is determined to give up his high-stakes life to finally build a closer relationship with his estranged wife and daughter, whom he's previously kept at arm's length to keep out of danger. But first, he must complete one last mission, even if it means juggling the two toughest assignments yet, hunting down the world's most ruthless terrorist and looking after his teenage daughter for the first time in 10 years while his wife is out of town. <laughs> that, last, <laughs> that last line just didn't, <laughs> that just didn't work at all. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> uh, okay, so, either, so. I, would you agree, though, that this film was not nearly as bad as it might have been? Or, you, or, or do you hate it a lot? I, hate is not a word I would use to describe it. I just did not think it was good. Hmm. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Um, okay. I, I should say that I was not excited to see this film. Um, I will say that I was not familiar with any of the critic uh, ratings or opinions. Um, I, I literally went into this film just with my own opinion based on the trailer. And so I, I tried to clear my head as much as I could and enjoy it as much as I could. And I just could not get into it. Um, I, I don't, I don't know exactly if I can lay a finger on what in the trailer turned me off, but um, the whole concept uh, just didn't work for me. And um, while it did have a couple of things that I did like about it, like uh, the, the title is actually not what you would think it means. Right. Um, they, they clarify that in the film. Um, that three days to kill does not imply that he only has three days to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, Remind me what so, it did mean. Well, wasn't three days to kill the name of the song that she, that his daughter put on his cell phone. Yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe. So maybe it was kind so, of like a double meaning kind of thing. And so to me, it, it implied that the title was more referring to him trying to strengthen his relationship with his daughter. Which I sort of liked that that uh, sentiment, I guess I could say. Um, but I I sort of agree with the critical acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes, at least that it, it just wasn't played off very well. See, I, I think that the, the critical acclaim almost has it backwards. That um, that some of the action wasn't very well technically accomplished, but that the family was the family conflict and the family stuff was a little more interesting. Um, and that's not to say it was always done well. Um, like for instance, okay, Daddy's been estranged for years, as far as we can tell. It hasn't really been around. He comes home and she runs off and and let, leaves him to watch her while she goes and does who knows does does who knows what. And and you're sitting here going, wait, wait, what? <laughs> so I mean, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, in two days they forgive him for ten years of absence. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, 
So, so there's that. I, I, but it feels like, I mean, because other than that, though, I mean, I did like kind of the interaction with between him and his daughter Haley Steinfeld, who again, uh, only the second movie I've seen Haley Steinfeld in, but uh, thought she did an excellent job as she did in the other movie that I've seen her in. Um, yes, uh, she she was pretty fantastic. There were only a couple of little things like. Eh. Could have done better, but mostly it was just like, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Uh, despite the fact that you just wanted to, uh, uh, how shall you say, slap her a couple of times, <laughs> like, come on, you teenage girl, get with the program, um, right? <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, daddy's trying here. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 it. Speaking of that, it felt like she didn't really learn the lesson that she needed to learn from her almost uh, rape scene. But, yeah. but that's another story. <laughs> um, I, I did think that uh, I, I thought that when I went to the theater, I wanted it to be a good film and I was expecting it not to be. Does that make sense? Yes. So I actually enjoyed the film more than I thought that I would. I did not enjoy it as much as I would have liked. So I'm kind of in the middle there. So maybe it's a case of low expectations, but I certainly did enjoy the film. Um, I, I feel like uh, – you know, Kevin Costner's performance was actually pretty good. I know he sometimes gets a bad rap. Um, and, and like I said, Haley Steinfeld, the, the only performance, though, that, that was really kind of iffy was Amber Heard. Yeah, that was so it's such a weird character. Very strange. Very strange. And, you know, my I think my biggest thought throughout this entire film was where are these credentials? Like, how do we know she is who she uh, she says she is? Well, how do we know he's really associated with the CIA? If he was apprehended at any point in this film, he would have been in jail for a very long time yes and and i I think that's kind of the way the cia is at least in this film is supposed to be operating is like well they're they're kind of outside the law and and they're they're going to take the fall for the agency if it comes to that okay Um, yeah it's a little weird (laughs) but yeah i mean the only reason that we know that either of them are associated with the cia is because we kind of get the god overview at the beginning of the film where we know that she met with the director of the cia and and uh-huh. so like other than that it's like whoa this, this woman is not operating within any confines of anything legal at all <laughs> i mean yeah um there's yeah it, it felt very much like um except for that scene establishing that they were cia it felt very much like they were just a bunch of mavericks hired by somebody up high to do something you know of who knows what i wasn't even quite sure what the whole point was and like why did she need him to do it i i didn't yeah. understand any of that yeah, and uh, I didn't understand. I mean, obviously, these guys are sort of terrorists, the bad guys. Um, but we don't know the extent to which their terrorism uh, well, exists. I mean, Chad, the, the the one guy is an albino. So, of course, he's a oh, bad guy. Oh, man. I mean, bad totally. Guy. Bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just stupid. Um, yeah. Um, uh, did you notice some bad sound editing moments? Mm, um, not particularly. Okay, well. First off, there are a couple of scenes where there are these voiceovers uh, that is like a conversation that's happening off screen while we see other events happening on screen. And I never thought those worked very well. No, they didn't work. I wouldn't attribute that to the sound editing as much as the editing in general. I'm about to go into – there were a couple of words that were – that very clearly did not match up with the lips. Oops. I I mean, it was very, very clear. Their mouth said one thing and the sound said something else. And I huh. saw that more on more than one occasion. I did not see that. Um, and it made me cringe every time. <laughs> Imagine if I had caught it, it would have made me cringe. <laughs> um, Interesting. And 
there were there were just things like um what was the point of the family living in his apartment and um it, it oh, just yeah, felt yeah, unnecessary totally. and then, unnecessary. in fact I've, I've almost sidelined it in my head like i almost forgot about it like because it didn't matter to the plot at all and it was completely pointless there was uh-huh. no point to it at all not it, it wasn't even like you couldn't even attribute it to comic relief really because it really wasn't no and and then the, the the character that was clearly aimed at comic relief or the characters i should say is the one uh father who is uh recurringly locked into the Kevin trunk. Costner's trunk. Yes. Um, that actually worked okay. I don't know. Him going to, or C- Costner going to him for parenting advice was really <laughs> weird. It was. And then uh, there was the Italian guy who was, uh, who he had talk on the phone to his daughter. And, Hello, I'm Guido. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of funny the way he talks, I guess. But other than that, why, why would this guy who's promised his family that he will not be killing people anymore just allow these people that he is kidnapping and duct taping to shower uh, rods talk to his daughter on the phone because it's funny. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> ha, ha, Four ha. stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what I didn't understand uh, really was any of, of Vivi's like um, motivation to do anything that she did. And then in the end to like, to put make sure that he and his family are back together like i i just didn't understand any of it uh-huh. from her perspective it, the character just didn't make any sense i think that's that's ultimately my biggest downfall for this movie is the character of vivi yeah i i, I could probably agree with that and um and and wasn't it convenient? Wasn't it convenient that every single time he's conf- he is in a position where he needs to be alert and needs to be able to pull the trigger and needs he he gets sick every single time and up to those points except for those times when he's confronted by the big bad enemy he's in perfect health. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it convenient <laughs> for the squat <script>? device? <laughs> it's very much a plot device. <laughs> um, I think, um, uh, my biggest problem was that at the end of the film um zoe her uh, his daughter is just completely okay with the fact that her boyfriend's daughter father was just killed by her father it's not really even mentioned is it no it's just like that scene happens he's dead they move on they're enjoying time uh, spending time together at a beach yeah yeah, it's a little nuts. I I, I wasn't. Yeah, the re- the resolution to everything in the film felt a little flat. Okay, and so I've pretty much said everything I didn't like about this film, which is just about everything. Did you like um, anything about the film? <laughs> I sort of like what the title implied. <laughs> Other than that, um, uh, not really. Uh, I didn't okay. like much. So, what did you like, TJ? I'm curious. Um, I I did enjoy the interaction between father and daughter. Uh, like even though it was weird the way mommy just sort of was shoved aside and got out of the picture. Um, I I did enjoy the kind of the trying to reestablish trust aspect of the, of the film, and I feel like that was certainly what the driving motivation behind his character was, and behind the film as a whole was was that reestablishing relationship. So all the action, everything he's doing is a little bit on the kind of a side note, um, and we really don't even get resolved. Like so, so the whole reason he's doing this, uh, spoiler alert, 
uh, although this is really in the trailer, so not really a spoiler, is that he's like dying. And, and in order to get the drug, the experimental drug that will help him, which is a very strangely delivered drug and some sort of big 18-gauge <laughs> horse needle, by the way, um, <laughs> get away from me with that dirty thing. Uh <laughs> um so yeah and it makes him completely dizzy and he has to apparently has to have vodka in order to to not be dizzy uh plot device whatever sense that makes um so well it's so, a depressant and it calms down your heart so <laughs> that's the idea i think i guess so so anyway um yeah, so see, he has to do this job, even though he's promised he's not doing any more jobs, in order to get the experimental drug, and we don't even know why he needs to do the job, but he needs to do it, you know, in order to get the the experimental drug, and therefore he can live, and and maybe, and, and spend more time with his daughter, and yeah. I, I yeah, mean, I, 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 think, I think some of the interactions did work okay, but I think the biggest problem wasn't their acting, but it was just poorly scripted a majority of the time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought that the a lot of the dialogue was just laughably bad. Yeah, I can agree. Well, hmm, it depends on which dialogue. Um, there was some dialogue that was pretty good. Um, I felt like, uh, you know, there were some scenes, like the whole bike ride scene, I, I felt like, even though the editing of that scene didn't work, some of the dialogue worked well. Mm. So the editing of, of that scene and a couple other transitional scenes like it, where there's kind of like voiceover, but it's like not voiceover because it's like, you know, them talking, but you're seeing other things. It was just weird. But anyway, ah, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I did not hate the film. Neither did I right. very much enjoy it. Okay. So I didn't hate it either. Uh, I, I mean, I would not just actively, uh, uh, throw out trash about this film. Um, but I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Yeah. It's not really worth catching the theater. No, there are other better films out there. So uh, what would you rate this film? I'm giving it a uh, one and a half out of five. Okay. I, get, I'm I a think little, that's fair. I'm a little kinder to it. I think mine is fair, <laughs> obviously. I'm two and a half out of five. You actually went down, though. I did. I did. Because I, 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 I've been hesitant to rate it, and I haven't been giving it a lot of thought. And as I've been thinking about it, I think, yeah, two and a half is probably fair. And hearing my perfectly legitimate criticisms convinced you. You're mostly legitimate criticisms, <laughs> we'll say. IMDb, okay. IMDb is a little more kind to it than either of us at six and a half user rating uh, out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critics really, 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 really don't like it at 32%. The audience is at 52%. So, you know, they'll take it or leave it kind of like I'm doing, you know, I'm kind of at the same place. It's 50%, you know, two and a half out of five. So, yeah. you know, um, it, it was what it was. In, in retrospect, I'm glad that we didn't have a whole show devoted to the review of this film. Uh, yeah, we didn't intend for it to work out that way, but just the things last week got a little crazy. So we weren't able to record an episode. So, yeah, well, okay. uh, I think that's all we have for, uh, this film. Uh, yes. shall we talk about Muppets most wanted? Yes. Let's. The world's greatest criminal has stolen the greatest treasures, escaped the greatest prisons. And he bears a strong resemblance to someone you know. It's not easy being mean. <laughs> it's Constantine, the world's most dangerous frog. Check this out. Ah! Oh, look, it's Kermit. Ah! Ah! Well, what did you do with Kermit? Ah! Oh. 
There must be some mistake. I'm Kermit the Frog. I, I'm not Constantine. You're going to be here a while. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> All right, so uh, Muppets Most Wanted uh, was in theaters on March the 21st. Um, it had a budget of $50 million, uh, which doesn't seem like that much. I don't know what the budget was for the first one. Maybe you can look that up while I'm talking. Yes. Um, it opened to $17 million. What is wrong with the world? A total, total worldwide gross of $19.6 million. Now, I'm going to read you something that's going to be even sadder to you, Chad. Okay. Divergent opened to $54.6 million. Why is that sad? Because the Muppets only did, uh, what, 19 million? Well, I mean, they opened the same day, and Divergent is based on a popular young adult trilogy right now. But you don't think that Muppets. Oh, neither of us have seen Divergent yet, as far as I know. You haven't seen it. No, I I haven't seen it yet. But you don't think that Muppets most. You don't think Muppets most wanted would be worthy of more money? I I think it certainly is, but I just think it it faced a lot of competition, and uh, it's understandable, I think. I don't understand um, why a Muppets movie would open this low. Yeah, uh, uh, the first Muppets movie had a budget of forty-five million, and its box office gross is one hundred sixty-five million. What was its opening weekend? E- give me just a moment. Let's see if Wikipedia has that because that's just where I look. Um, six point five million on its opening day. Um, it opened, I think, the same day as Breaking Dawn Part One. Um, uh, here we go. Okay, so I have opening weekend at twenty nine point two million. So this is yes, this is, there it is. This from is Friday wide a step down at nineteen point six, and that's the worldwide. The the actual opening figure is seventeen million of Muppets Most Wanted. That's quite a step down. Yes, it's unfortunate. Uh, so critical claim is that while it may not reach the delirious heights of the Muppets, Muppets Most Wanted still packs in, in enough clever gags, catchy songs, and celebrity cameos to satisfy fans of all ages. It was directed by James Bobbin, uh, who also was one of the writers. Nicholas Stoller was the other writer. Stoller, Stoller, or Ricky Gervais uh, played Dominic Bad Guy or Badgie. Uh, it's Ty- French. Yes, it's French. Uh, Ty Burrell <laughs> played Jean-Pierre Na- Napoleon. Tina Fey played Nadia. Steve Whitmire played Kermit, Statler, Beaker, Lips, Rizzo, and Newsman. Eric Jacobson played Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Sam, the Eagle, and Animal. Dave Goles played Gonzo, Bunsen, Beauregard, and Waldorf. Uh, Bill Beretta played Rolf, Dr. Teeth, and the Chef. Uh, and David Rudman played Scooter. Music by uh, songs by Brett McKenzie and the score by Christoph Beck. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, the songs are not as good as in the first film. Oh, you and I will disagree. Ooh, uh, I will fight with you, TJ. I will. Uh, no, no, no. I will reach right through this Skype and and, and slap you. Okay. Um, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, the score by Christoph Beck. I actually don't have a lot of the score. I have the soundtrack that was released by Disney, and it only has one track on it by Christoph Beck, and it's the, the Muppets Most Wanted Suite. Um, and it's good. Um, I didn't notice a lot of it in the theater because I was listening mostly to the songs. True, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I like Christoph Beck a lot. He recently did Frozen for Disney, and uh, all of his scores are always very whimsical and fun and very good. So I'm sure that the his part was very well done as well. Yeah. All right, so shortly after departing on a world tour with their new manager, Dominic Bad Guy, Kermit and the Muppets are enjoying their newly acquired fame when suddenly 
Kermit is confronted and framed by his evil doppelganger, Constantine, the world's number one criminal, and is sent off to spend time in the villain's place in the Siberian prison Gulag. With Constantine now masquerading as our favorite green amphibian and the rest of the Muppets unaware, the Muppets are in danger of being caught up in what might be the biggest heist of all time. Man, that is one good summary. I know, isn't it? <laughs> I thought I would I thought I would see if I could pump a little life into it there for you. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. So um, a couple of a couple of things to note, Chad, is that Steve Whitmire actually has been with the Muppets in various capacities since the since the show. Uh, of course, he was oh, not playing Kermit at the time uh, because right. that was obviously Jim Henson. In fact, Jim Henson did so many voices that they've now split up amongst different uh, different uh, members of the cast. It's kind of funny. Uh, and, well, and same with Frank Oz. Frank Oz did both uh, Miss Piggy and Fozzie. Well, I guess they they have him. Yeah, the Eric Jacobson, same person. Eric but, Jacobson's uh, voice characteristics must be similar enough to, to capture all the same ones that that uh, that uh, he did. <laughs> you just right. said his name. Why did it escape my my, Frank Oz? my brain? Yes, Frank Oz. Thank you, Yoda. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, it's it's interesting because he's still alive, but they've got somebody else doing Miss Piggy. So that's uh, kind of whatever. Um, yeah, for the most part. Um, I actually was listening for it this time, and I, you know, if I'm paying attention, I can tell the difference between Steve Whitmire and Jim Henson. But for the most uh-huh. part, it works. It's Kermit, you know. Yeah, so. it, it, I have no complaints about any of the voices. Yeah, and Miss Piggy was fine too. Now, Fozzie, Fozzie was better this time around. I, I don't know if it's the same person or not. I suppose I could look, but um, I felt like Fozzie w- didn't quite work in the last movie. Like sometimes his voice wasn't Fozzie's voice, and then it, it would like transition. Really? In the middle of, of Fozzie would be speak. It was really when when Fozzie wasn't worked up or about. And you know, he, Fozzie usually speaks kind of louder and you know, waka waka. You know, uh-huh. he's, he's got that kind of. But if he was speaking, well, Kermit, and it felt like if he if he was dialed down, I it was like that's not Fozzie. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a little odd. Now I didn't notice that in this movie. Okay, I mean, I didn't notice that in the first movie. So, um, but I, I mean, whatever. Uh, if you heard it, then you heard it, and that that's fine. I'm, I'm glad it improved for you. Uh, but for the record, uh, the same guy did voice him in this film. Okay, yeah. I mean, I figured he did, but I don't know. So, yeah. I, I, I Anyway. Uh, all right. Getting back to uh, what we're doing here in the show outline. Oh, David Goals uh, is still playing Gonzo. So he's like the – he was playing Gonzo since the beginning. I don't know that anybody else has ever played Gonzo, so that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, all right, Chad, this is your this is your time to shine, man. Tell us about okay. this. What did you like about this film? A lot. Uh, the humor of the Muppets is there, and the the story I thought was actually pretty good as well. Um, the only thing I was missing was the heart from the the last film. Uh, um, it's kind of hard to describe. I think that the first film was more of a focus on jason siegel's character and walter the new muppet um then it was about the muppets themselves and i think having that really sort of human relationship as the focus worked really well for uh, the muppets uh the 2011 film um and uh i didn't feel like there was that central uh story arc to latch onto here that provided that emotion there there were moments of it here um but i just I didn't feel like 
Oh, I just said it. Uh, it didn't seem like there was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just got what you meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it didn't seem like there was, uh, that same heart that I had, uh, felt in the first film. See, I think, and I'm still kind of figuring it out. I'm still kind of letting it gel, but I, I just saw it last night. I think I enjoyed this one more than the first, than the first Muppets movie. And I enjoyed the you first are crazy. Muppets movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it, it would, until I had seen Muppets most wanted, I feel like the Muppets 2011, uh, was probably the best Muppets movie I've, I've seen. Um, I still think it is the best, but that's just me, I guess. Maybe so. I mean, I, I think I'm going to put it, I think I would rate them both the same if I were rating them when I give my star ratings. Now it's kind of interesting because I, um, I've been enjoying the TV show, which is pointless and silly and senseless and has no plot. And it's, and it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been enjoying, I'll take, you know, if I have, you know, 20 minutes, I'll, I'll watch an episode. I'll find it on YouTube and throw it up on my Apple TV and I'll, I'll watch it. So I'm like on episode eight or nine or something of the original show. So, um, you know, the production quality is pretty low, but who cares? Um, you know, you can see the wires controlling the puppets. <laughs> Um, it happens, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, you can't in, in the movies, obviously. Um, uh-huh. So, but, you know, I watched the first Muppet movie, and I thought, yeah, you know, I like the show better than this. You know, the, Mupp- the Muppet mm-hmm. movie, it felt almost too self-introspective. Like, it's a movie about making a movie about about the making of a movie about bringing the Muppets together. I mean, well, this is weird, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and then the second film, I'm trying, okay, which one is the second one? I think it was the second one that I really liked. The Great um, Muppet Caper. The Great Muppet Caper, that's the one. I, I actually enjoyed that a lot. And then the Muppets Take Manhattan, I thought, again, it felt maybe a little better than the first movie. Um, I did enjoy Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, and okay, so that, that was my extent of prep for the Muppets, uh, 2011. And of all those movies, the Muppets 2011 is certainly the best. Now I'm trying to decide whether it's better than Muppets Most Wanted because I really liked Muppets Most Wanted. I, I really did enjoy it, and it feels like what they've done. See, you know, where the where the original film was a movie about making a movie about the Muppets coming together, it's like this is yes, they kind of say we're making a movie about bringing the Muppets back together again, but then they don't they don't harp on it, and it doesn't become like the thing. You know, the, the movie really does become about the Muppets and not about the movie about the Muppets. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I, I don't understand where you're coming from with the Muppets 2011 being about a movie about a movie. No, 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 no. That, I'm talking about the original Muppets movie. Oh, okay, 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 okay. No, that's my point. My point is that it wasn't. The, the 2011, they, they acknowledged it. Like, this is a, this is, this is a, this is the way the Muppets work is where we acknowledge that we're making a movie about the Muppets. And and then mm-hmm. it went. They sort of got past it. Like we're in the original movie, nineteen seventy, whatever it was, or nineteen eighty, whatever. In that original Muppet movie, they never got past that point. It was like it, the whole thing. Was, oh, oh, here we don't know what happens next. Read the script. Oh, here's what happens. It was just awful. I thought it was funny. I, I love that. I mean, that's that's a sort of self aware, tongue in cheek humor that the Muppets are known for. But it was too much. And and I felt like in the two thousand eleven film, they really dialed that right into place perfectly. Um, and, I mean, and, I agree that 2011 film is better than the original. Yeah. So, and and that's the same. I think the same thing is true here. They go, oh, you know, Fozzie's like, why are there still cameras? Ah, they want a sequel. You know, um, <laughs> that's not a bad Fozzie teaching. I'm proud. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I do a good Yoda too, so it makes sense. <laughs> Yoda, you seek Yoda. 
<laughs> not bad pretty good <laughs> um yeah so the, anyway um so yeah i i just I, I just i don't know how to describe how i'm feeling about why i think this might be better i just i just really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it and it could be maybe the theatrical experience because all the other films i experienced you know on my tv and this i went to the theater and i was engrossed in the theatrical experience i really liked oh. the songs in in the muppets most wanted um you know they were perfect they were good okay well for I'll go ahead and throw out my opinion on the songs. They're all fun. Um, actually, today I've listened through the soundtrack twice, and they've grown on me more since watching the film. Um, but my issue with the songs this time around is that they're more focused on the fun of the Muppets than on the character building of the film. Mm. Um, it, whereas, okay, looking at the songs of the first film, um, the first opening number, you have Life's Happy Song, where we establish that uh, Amy Adams' character uh, is disdainful of the closeness between Gary and Walter. That that's a very big character point thrown in in the very first song. After that, you have "Pictures in My Head" sung by Kermit, which is talking about how he misses the old gang, how he wishes he could do it again, um, but it just doesn't look likely. They're just pictures in my head, and I could go on and do that with just about every single song that's in the original. Uh, I, I keep saying the original. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 2011, 2011. Muppets movie. Um, and it's worth noting that the songs for that movie were written by the same guy, so it's not. A, comp- a compositional problem it's just the 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 theme of the songs is different um yeah. and i i like focusing on fun i mean it's the muppets they're supposed to focus on fun but i i wish it had a little bit more of that character building element this time around um th- there wasn't really a lot of the same kind of in-depth character building this time around it's there and they do a good job of what's what is there, but I, there weren't any big changes or uh, heartwarming uh, realizations. I mean, I, not every film needs to have that, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I just I I felt like that this film, you know, worked on building the character a little bit. I, I especially thought that what was you know we've never really at least not anything that I've seen thus far. Maybe it happened at some point that I haven't, haven't seen yet. But I've never really seen Miss Piggy's character developed as well as it was in Muppets Most Wanted, where even she, as vain as she is and as much as she doesn't pay attention to anybody but her, she started to realize something was up with this Kermit, that this wasn't her Kermit. Right. Uh, I I do like that song, listening to the lyrics of that one, where she says, uh, uh, how can something so right feel so wrong? Right, exactly. Um, I mean, and this, this is uh, the the marriage of uh, re- the relationship of Fozzie and P- or not Fozzie Kermit and Piggy has been something that's been played up about the Muppets since the very beginning, since their inception, and so it is something that has been played at for a long time. And to address it now, I think that is one song that did a very good job of character building. Yeah, well, and and you you know, I was wondering how they're gonna, like were they going to go through with the marriage, and were they not going to you know with with uh, <laughs> with a fake Kermit because you know it's been such a thing for so long. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I think it would be very un-Muppets-like to, right. for, for, for and, Piggy and Kermit to get married at this point. And I love that scene where, you know, Miss Piggy's like, I know how to solve this. You know, she's like, <laughs> you know, Kermit, will you marry me? And he's yes, of course, I will marry you right now, right away. You know, and she's like, man, you, other Kermit, will you marry me? And he's like, I, I, well, well, Miss Piggy, I, uh, well, uh, uh, I, uh, that's my Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> right so that was funny that's very good yeah so um uh, i thought the cast for the most uh or ty burrell and tina fey especially were just 
excellent. I could listen to them and their fake accents all day long. And <laughs> yes. I, 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 it was just the best. Uh, uh, this is my car. You looking at the wrong badge? And <laughs> you are looking at so the funny. wrong badge. <laughs> and you were like, saying. <laughs> I thought Ricky Gervais was okay too, but I, he I didn't felt stand like he was game. a little slightly bit off his game, though. I will give you. I will say that. Like yeah, I've, I've seen I, him funnier. I agree. Um, but he was he was passable. I I thought he did a good job. His song with Constantine was pretty fun. Yeah, that was uh, pretty fun. Yeah. And um, but one thing cast wise that I do want to mention is that the cameos, some of the cameos in this film were weird. Um, there were like you mean ex- like Lady Gaga. No, no, that's. I thought that was what the cameos should have been like. Where, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, the, the joke in that song, she actually has the line and funny one-line cameos or whatever. Um, yeah, and, yeah, And then yeah. she's gone. You never see her again. Yep. Um, but then you have characters like Danny Trejo and Ray Liotta. And, Ray, uh, Ray Josh, Liotta, you mean? Ray, sorry, thank you. Ray Liotta. Um, and then you have Josh Groban's recurring singing character and Celine Dion pops up and you have these extended cameos um, that just seemed weird to me now i Um, really liked ray liotta and danny trejo's uh extended cameos i thought those were brilliant i thought parts of them were okay but um uh like the audition scene was a little too much i think for me Mm, Uh, you and i shall disagree forever okay that's okay with me (laughs) i thought it was brilliant now, now, what I did find interesting, speaking of the audition scene and the whole, you know, Kermit taking over the prison uh, uh, audition stuff, I, I thought they would play up more when they came to retrieve him. Well, uh, you know, I thought Kermit would be more like, I don't know, guys, I'm happy here, you know, type of thing. And it was almost uh-huh. just like, oh, they're here, I can go now. And and I felt like they would play up more of a, well, you guys didn't even come rescue me type thing. But well, they did for a second, and then as soon as they mentioned that uh, Piggy was about to marry Constantine, yeah, that's true. then that's that's what snapped him back. It's his uh, love. He he does have affection for Piggy. He just is afraid of committal. Yes. Um, so that that's a that's a a good character moment for him. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's. Oh, there's one thing in the first song that I want to mention. The we're doing a sequel. Right, um, yeah, yeah. At, at, the, it, end, at the end of the song, never they, they quite say, as good. Right, it's a great song. Um, but at the very end, they, they call, they say, um, "What should we call it? Let's. How about the Muppets again?" And you know, the original title of this film was called "The Muppets Again." That's that's uh, what this film was originally titled before they changed it to Muppets Most Wanted. And those lyrics felt weird because of it. It's, I did think that, yes. And I yeah, thought, well, because, maybe there will be some explanation as we move. And it never did really did explain it. And it, it was fine, but it was just – Yeah, like, I mean, right. it was very brief. But just even listening to the song now, it's very weird because it's saying, let's call it the Muppets again. And then the title shows and it's Muppets Most Wanted. Um, I think they could have maybe done something like show Muppets again and then wipe the again and type in the Most Wanted like they did but they sure. didn't do that that sort of wipe where they're like no we're not going to call it that we're going to call it this because you're in trouble this time around right yeah uh, and and i i think that would have played off a little bit better but the, the one set of lyrics was just a little weird for me yeah i agree it was a little strange to me too i i had that exact same thought but i did think that aside from that the song was brilliant because it really oh, kind of the song is so it great set your expectations too <laughs> like even without you realizing it like Everyone knows the sequel's not quite as good, you know, ha ha ha, we're making fun of ourselves, you know. Uh, while the studio waits for Tom Hanks to make Toy Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll never be as bad as Godfather 3. Yeah. Or, uh, or when Kermit says, all we need now is a half-decent plot, and Fozzie says, 
oh, it'll be about the Muppets getting together again and <laughs> have to save the studio from an oil baron. Uh, right, right, yeah. Well, see, did you even watch our last film? <laughs> exactly, yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah, and, yeah I, that, that song was one of the best, I think. Um, I really, you know, and again, I'm working here without notes because I, I, I literally skidded into the driveway and, and pulled up my chair at my desk and started this podcast. But but um, I, I really don't have a lot to complain about. Okay, uh, it sounds like I have a lot to complain about. And my overall opinion is I was very slightly disappointed. I am going to be seeing it a second time for sure because um, my roommate hasn't seen it yet. And um, the Muppets are our thing. And so we will be seeing that again probably sometime this weekend. And I'm sure I'm going to like it more the second time because I've gotten my initial disappointment out of the way. And I'm just appreciating it for what it is because at the end of the day, this is still a Muppets movie and it's very well done and it's very fun. And I, my complaints are outweighed by the fun of the film. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just my complaints really don't matter. Okay, go on. (laughs) The stage has been set. uh, I mean, mean, oh, so my, my star rating is at three and a half out of five. Um, That may actually change after a second viewing. I might decide, you know, this is a four star film. Um, but with my initial disappointment in hand, um, and th- I mean, that's just if for reference, I, if I had to rate the first film, I mean, easily a four and a half, if not out of, not a five. Oh I, my. Remember TG, I factor my enjoyment of the film heavily. And that film is that, that film holds a special place in my heart. That is such a great film. I mean, I and do it, too, but goodness. it hits me hard emotionally. And I mean, I, I, I Four and a half, at least, for the first film. While we're talking about the first film, they never explained satisfactorily to me how it is that this Muppet is related to this human as a brother. (laughs) Why does that matter? It doesn't. That's why, I mean, that's why I've never really, but but it just was, it struck me as a little odd. I don't know. I think that, that just might be more Muppet's humor is, hey, look, this guy and this Muppet are brothers. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. I'm not laughing. That's the the problem. I'm sorry. But, um, I mean, I know you're not, you don't base your opinion on films on Rotten Tomatoes ratings, but as far as, as critics go, the first film has a 96% and this one has a 77%. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so my rating for Muppets most wanted is at four out of five. And I would rate the first film the same way, four out of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let me throw in real quick. Sorry. Um, I think a big part of what's missing from this film is Jason Siegel, because I don't know how much you know about the production of the 2011 film, but it is largely Jason Siegel's. Oh, he, wrote, he wrote the film. I mean, he, he wrote it. It's because of him that it was made. It was Jason Siegel trying his darndest to put characters that he loved back in the limelight. It felt, and, it and felt like his character, Walter, his brother, you know, the, the brother of Jason Siegel's character was a stand in for Jason Siegel who wrote the film is what it yeah. felt like to me. It, it I mean, that, you, that's you know, his, his love, so his love for the Muppets. Yeah. That was so great about the, the, the first film is that you have that really deep connection and want and love for the characters. And um, I think that was missing just a tad here. Um, like I said, it's not to its detriment too much, um, but I do think that the first film is better because of Jason Teagle's involvement. 
Yeah, and I don't think there's anything saying that Jason Siegel couldn't come back for a third installment. Well, except perhaps these box office, <laughs> this lack of box <laughs> office uh, money making here. But but I mean, if there was a third installment, there's nothing saying he couldn't come back. I mean, the, you know, Jason Siegel did play Walter's brother, and that could still have a part. And you know, there's still room, I think, for him to come back and do another one. So there's right. all, we can always hope. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm at four out of five. You're at three and a half out of five. IMDb is at seven point two out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes seventy seven percent. So the, the the critics certainly didn't like it as much as the first film, but uh, it's not surprising. Sequels always tend to get more, as the song says, they're never quite as good or whatever. <laughs> and I think to be fair, um, the last Muppets film did come after a long absence of Muppets, and so I think part of its higher critical rating might be due to the nostalgia of seeing these beloved characters back Absolutely. for the first time in a long time. Absolutely. And so. To its to Muppets Most Wanted credit, it doesn't have that going for it. It's not the first Muppets film in a long time. It's it's just been a couple of years. Um, but um, I just wanted to mention that to be fair. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of cynicism uh, in, with critics where it doesn't matter if this film was was in every way better than the first one. They might tend to rate it lower because it's a sequel and it's a money grab by the studio. You know, right. there's a certain amount of cynicalness. I, I really, you know, there are certain p- podcasts I listen to and certain critics I read that I just get so frustrated with because they're so cynical about everything. So I feel like there may be a little bit of that going on here. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, the the director from the first film returned for this one, and so I don't think you could really argue that um, it it was entirely for money. Um, a guy who was attached attached to the first project and. Uh, enjoyed working on the first project returned. So, yeah. uh, so he, he clearly has some attachment to these characters and he wanted to make a film that was just as good. Yep. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our conversation about uh, Muppets most wanted and about a three days to kill. Obviously one of these films is better than the other. <laughs> hint, 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 wink, wink, waka, nudge, waka. nudge, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so next week we're going to be talking about Divergent. I know you're more excited about this than I am. I, 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 this is another one of those films that I want to be good and that I expect to be really bad, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've been following uh, Mikey's or Fizz's uh, posts on Facebook. He, he said he was a little disappointed by it, but uh, he, he rates it on par with the as better than the first Hunger Games film. So. He's nuts. He's absolutely insane. There is, no, <laughs> there is no way this is better than the first Hunger Games film. It, there's not a chance. <laughs> not a chance we'll see i mean i i like the first hunger games film quite a lot but i do like the divergent books more than the hunger games books so interesting um, i mean since- I, I can see that i i'm not necessarily uh, the hunger okay, the hunger games books are a whole nother topic that we can't crack right now in fact you're, you're right. running late aren't you uh yeah i need to get going okay so next we're going to be talking about divergent uh so be prepared to tune in for that where can people find your work on the internet you can find my reviews on chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and on twitter.com at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Right, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash tjdraperpro. You can find everything that I write about, uh, although I'm behind on my reviews right now, but I'll be trying to get that caught up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so you can find my reviews and things at moviebyte.com. I write every day at moviebyte.com. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you will find that at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 83. And you scroll down a little bit and you'll find all the show notes, the links and the cool things we talked about, those videos of the of the video games and stuff, and the awesome acapella. That's all in there in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, get caught up and watch Divergent, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>